Welcome to another edition of the Business and Personal Podcast, where we bring you closer to the people you do business with. And today we have a sort of a YouTube sensation. We have Lacey Schmidtke, who runs the Misco Electric YouTube page. She's up to 800 subscribers now. She just started it back in October. And I think it goes to show how much interest there is in electric cars and electric vehicles. And people are trying to gain knowledge on that. So we are very excited to have her here to share her wisdom. Uh, Lacey, first of all, uh, thanks for coming on. How are you doing today? Thank you. Thank you for having me. No, I'm really good. I'm really excited. Like we were talking about real quick earlier, it's a really beautiful day here and we don't get that too often in this time of year. So I'm uh, happily sitting by a window that has a lot of sunshine coming through it. <laughs> so let's try to make this quick so we can actually go out and see some sunshine here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you and I have had more than an hour of conversation just about all the different things with electric vehicles, all the options and different things that you have to learn. So I thought, boy, this would be great content for a podcast. So here we are. And, uh, and I do think a lot of people are interested in this. So first of all, just um, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, what led you, what was the motivation that kind of led you to create this YouTube channel? Yeah. So I actually work in the events industry and in automotive. So more specifically automotive experiential marketing events. So what that entails is going to these events where there are mass amount of public, the general public, a lot of people there, and they come to check out our vehicles. And I'm there to educate them about that particular vehicle. And I've been in the industry for about 10 years. And more specifically within the last five years, I've been focusing on taking only the projects that I'm really passionate about. And um, that just happens to be electric vehicles because I've worked with them over the years and have found that they're extremely interesting. Um, I think in my perspective, and it's not for everyone, but it's a superior uh, mode of transportation. And I just really believe in it. And I think it's the future. So more recently have been uh, tackling EV product launches. And with the pandemic, um, of course people can't gather. So my industry had pretty much completely shut down. So I figured, you know what, I, I love doing my job. I love talking to people about cars and especially electric cars. So why not start an EV advocacy channel where I can teach people about um, the basics and do product reviews and interview industry leaders. So I've been doing that, like you said, since October. And um, yeah, I, I just, I really like it so far. And I've learned a lot from, you know, doing all the production side of things and um, getting to take these cars out that sometimes I, you know, I get specific clients, but not all of them across the board. And this gives me more opportunity to learn even more about each brand. So I've done quite a few of those uh, product reviews, which have kind of opened my eyes up even more to some of those other brands that I haven't worked for yet. And so, yeah, I, uh, it, it's going pretty well so far. And I'm just really excited to teach people more about this industry because the general public, there's a lot of myths out there and people don't really there's, there's quite a lot to learn. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, and there's a lot of personal preference involved, but, um, overall, I think it's such a interesting time in the automotive space because we're really going through a sh complete shift. Like we're, people don't realize it, but we're going through history right now with this whole electric vehicle transition. So 
it's really cool to be a part of, in my opinion. Yeah, you're not kidding on the amount of research that needs to be done. I've been researching it for two months and I still feel like I'm learning something new every day. But I'll tell you, like I keep crossing off all these objections. I don't really have many reasons left to not uh, go ahead and do and make this purchase. And as you say, it's so much more mainstream right now. Like I was telling you, a recent trip we were on, like looking at my Google Maps, there were Tesla chargers everywhere. And I think that's one thing people worry about. Oh my gosh, you know, what if my battery runs out when I'm on the road? Like you almost have to fall asleep at the wheel to not find a Tesla charger somewhere out there. What have you seen in your years uh, in the business of, I guess, some specifics about how much more mainstream electric vehicles are now versus what they were before? Well, what we're seeing now is that the legacy automakers aren't just making compliance cars, which basically meant, you know, even back in the 2000s when companies like Ford and GM and some of those that are just have that long lasting hundred year history that, you know, they were making electric cars, but they were only with say 80 miles of range or hundred miles of range. And now we're starting to see since Tesla has made such a name for itself and grown. And especially on the stock market, people are very intrigued by that because their market cap is insane right now. And it continues to, you know, obviously it's volatile, but it, it continues, it's on the S&P. So it's gaining a lot of credibility. And with that much attention, automakers realize that they have to compete because now Tesla has been in the industry for quite some time and they've established some really great methods on how to keep innovating that a lot of the legacy automakers, they, they, they kind of have protocols and they do things a certain way that kind of slows them down. So luckily they are catching up now and they're coming out with products that have, you know, 200 to 300 miles of range, which is, you know, a lot of people still think that's low, but it's adequate for a lot of people because usually the daily driving for an average person to work and back and just what you do in your daily commute is around, you know, 30 to 40 miles. So you sometimes don't have to charge uh, even every single day. And when you do, you, you begin to realize it becomes a little bit more convenient because you just plug it in and I, like you would a cell phone. But um, to your point with the charging infrastructure, there are a lot of different options. You know, even if you do choose not to have a Tesla, um, you know, there are other really great uh, infrastructure companies that are building up their networks that make it viable for someone even that doesn't have a Tesla to buy an electric car. And those two, the combination of those two is really going to make this industry skyrocket. And you just see consistently pretty much every day there's new news about um, the EV technology, battery technology, and um, new products coming to market. Um, so it's, it's, it's coming. <laughs> I think the other thing people don't think about is that there are countries right now that are setting bans on new sales of gas cars. So being a global economy, it's not just about, you know, maybe it won't take off in the U.S. No, it's, it's, it's going to come because these automakers have to respond to these bans. There's several, like, it's not just the U.K., you know, there are across the board uh, more and more overseas that are 
putting these mandates on. And in California, we saw, you know, last year that they had introduced that they were going to do the same in 2035, I believe, is their limit to new uh, gas vehicles. And other states are starting to introduce bills that will move that way as well. So it's not just about, you know, what we do here in the U.S. It's a global economy with these automakers. And so they got to respond. Very interesting. And I think, you know, another objection probably is cost that people have. And, you know, I'm looking at the Tesla Model 3 and I'm probably paying a little bit more for that than I would like to on a vehicle of that size. But you have to look at the long game when you're doing yeah. this. If you're looking at exactly. the short term, then it's not so much. Um, I know it's we don't have enough time to go into all the full details of how much you can save with an electric vehicle, but as simply as you can, just tell people how much they can plan on saving on an electric vehicle over time. Yeah, so like you mentioned, usually the MSRP up front for an electric car, for a new car, is going to be more expensive than your gas counterpart. But we're getting very, very close to parity because the price for battery is getting close to that sweet spot, which um, analysts say is about $100 per um, kilowatt hour. So the amount right now, I think, is at $130. Um, and right now we're seeing so many automakers jump into battery technology and creating their own um, plants to be able to build out uh, these cells and these packs for their cars. So like GM's coming out with Ultium and obviously Tesla has their own and uh, Volkswagen just announced that they're going to be doing, and those are some big players. They The amount of vehicles that companies like VW and GM make is a huge deal. Whereas Tesla, I mean, still electric cars are only a couple percentage points of the marketplace. So um, to think of it in that way is just insane because they've made such a big dent on it that all these other companies feel the need to jump in. But with that being said, um, total cost of ownership is really what you'll want to look for because there's very little maintenance on electric cars. So you don't have, you know, your typical oil change, your spark plug changes, anything like that. There's, it's a much simpler machine, so a lot less can go wrong. Um, so overall, your maintenance costs are extremely uh, lower than what you would expect out of a gas car. So and even brakes, brakes with regenerative braking uh, that all EVs have where the, the kinetic energy from the wheel spinning is actually absorbed in order to recharge the battery. So you actually don't use your brake pads as often because uh, you let the car slow itself down. So it's, it, a lot of people say it kind of feels like engine braking, um, but you know, you don't have to shift out to do that. So um, it automatically does it. So there's a lot to just take into consideration, plus the federal tax incentives that um, you may qualify for up to $7,500. And the um, lawmakers are coming up with a proposed bill that would extend that to even the automakers that have made more than 200,000 EVs. So right now, technically, GM and Tesla don't qualify for that. But um, there is a bill that's coming up that it, hopefully by the end of this year will be integrated so that people can uh, use that and for used EVs too. So there's a lot going on and there's a lot of incentive to be able to get into the market. And like I was mentioning to you, that goes for home charging stations. There's EV incentives for the installation and costs of home chargers. So that brings the cost down in total 
uh, to make it really convenient and easy for you, as long as your tax liabilities that works out to be that way, you do have to have, it's a tax incentive. So um, that does matter. But overall, just when you don't consider those and you just AB the gas cars and the EVs, the EVs are the total cost of ownership is uh, quite a bit less. Usually, even when you're spending on the fuel, the electricity is quite a bit cheaper than gas in most cases. In some areas, you're going to see like in really high densely populated like a San Francisco or something that the prices are quite a bit more. But generally speaking, people that are saying like my in Michigan, you, you know, you're not going to pay crazy amounts for electricity, it's going to be pretty reasonable. And I think ours is somewhere around, I think the national average is about 13 cents per um, kilowatt hour. And so ours is less than, less than, uh, you know, 15 bucks to fill up our car. Yeah, from my projections, I think I'm looking at from the estimates that I've received, maybe another 30 to $40 a month that adds to my electric bill for charging yeah. at home compared yep. to all the money you spend on gas and oil changes over the course of time. Like it's, if you, if you have a hard time figuring out the long-term math, just look at the short term of that and how that can add up over time. And, you know, even if I'm not banking on the tax, the, the $7,500 tax credit, like that may or may not be available for a Tesla if I buy it, but you know what? That's just icing on the cake because exactly. all the numbers work out so good, you know. Um, yep. So let's talk about the home charging station a little bit because that is one expense that people will have to pay up front. But as you say, a lot of good chance they can get that money rebated back at tax time. Um, what are your suggestions and thoughts on what people should look at and be considering with their home uh, charging station? Well, it is really dependent case by case. Uh, you'll definitely want to talk to an electrician and there's a lot of resources online to be able to find an electrician near you that is used to dealing with these types of things. But um, you can go a couple different routes. Um, you can go with your, usually when you're buying the vehicle, that brand typically sends a home unit or sells a home unit with the vehicle so you can pay extra in order to have that shipped to your house and then have a um an electrician install it some of them do provide a uh, either a hardwire connection or a nema 1450 or 650 outlet that you would plug into and costs are going to vary because it depends on where exactly you're getting it installed in your garage so the line from your panel in your garage and how close you get to it, your car, because um, depending also which charger you choose, you'll have to look at the cord length to make sure that you're buying one that can reach over to your car with enough up length. I think the charge point one is like 24 foot. So it's really long and really it's, it's great. Um, and I think the Tesla one goes up to about 18 feet or something like that, which is still really good. Um, but it really just depends on where you're putting it in your garage. Those lines will cost longer the further you get from your panel or from where they're hooking it up from. So the shorter the line, the better cost. But yeah, like we mentioned, the charging stations at home, there is a, a tax credit for that that they extended for the rest of this year too. And likely it'll continue to get extended. But that is, I believe, 30% of the unit that you buy. And then a uh, up to $1,000 uh, in total for the installation costs. So uh, on the tax rebate, you can get quite a bit off 
uh, by getting that charger installed. I just think the biggest thing with that, everybody's house is obviously different. So you should get mm -hmm. an electrician that has experience installing these over to check your house out just to make sure you don't have any hurdles or extra things you need to purchase to make it work. But uh, from my research, anywhere between $1,000 uh, to $1,500 total, probably between the charging station and the installation cost is what you'd have to pay up front. But again, that, a lot of that can be rebated back. So. Yeah, and um, one also thing to note is that, you know, depends on how many amps your panel can support, because in some cases in old houses, it's already kind of jam packed, so they might have to, you know, upgrade it so you can get more power into it, and in that case, it's going to bring the price up, so definitely take that into consideration. I think most on the market, you can get somewhere around 60 to 50 amps for these home charging stations, and that's kind of their max, but it really depends on what the car supports too. So you'll want to look into both sides of those, you know, factors. And what should be the expectation of if you buy one of these charging stations, how long should it take to, to do from no charge to full charge on your vehicle? So, like I said, it depends on the amps and what the car will allow you to charge the charging rate. Um, and there's some terminology that kind of somewhat gets confusing because the, you know, when you're talking about electricity for kilowatt speed um, that the car can accept because a lot of these, they have to do a conversion process because what you're using is AC uh, electricity. So the conversion process happens in the car on the onboard charger in the vehicle, and that can only accept a certain amount. And then that transfers that energy into DC energy direct current. So a lot of these like public charging stations that you see with really, really fast charging, those are all DC and they can go much faster because they are DC current. Um, whereas at your home, you can't install that at your home, unfortunately, just because it's it, you know, it's way too intense. <laughs> so level two is the best you can do. And on the market, uh, the best is about 44 miles per hour. And so typically you're somewhere around three to four hours for those faster charge times. Um, but you're, if you're on a level one and you're just using a traditional 110, that's going to take quite a bit longer. It's usually at overnight, something that's, you know, 10 plus hours, maybe even, you know, 16, depending on what the car can support and, you know, how much energy is going through. And I think the average person is going to do most of their charging just right at their house by plugging it in and overnight charge and you're good to go. But there are road trips that people will take now. And that's like you said before, the range is there where it's a lot more convenient to take on a road trip than ever before. So when people are out on the road, they're going to encounter a couple of different uh, types of chargers, the supercharger versus the destination charger. So explain to people the differences and advantages of those two. Yeah. So first I want to just describe that, that there are those three levels of charging. So you have level one, which is your traditional 110 outlet that you just plug into any wall and, you know, all EVs are capable of doing that. It's just going to take you a longer time. Level two, which we talked about, which is typically what you use at home. There are level two stations out in the public as well. And that's close to what you would expect for, um, like your destination chargers, that's what's considered more of a level two. It's a slower speed. It's still pretty good speed, but that's for if you're going to be somewhere for a long period of time. That's what I would recommend. So say you're going to a movie or, um, you know, you're going into work. A lot of times these um, 
charging stations are put in at places of business or places where you're going to linger a little bit longer because they're not fast charging and you really honestly don't need it. If you're going to be there for a while, it's just, you know, plug it in and let it charge while you're there. Um, and then the, the faster chargers are the higher speeds. So let, let's say like level one and level two, those two are both AC charging and you can get probably, you know, somewhere around 30 kilowatts. If, if you know what I'm talking about, that's pretty good speed. Um, it is slower, but compared to say the superchargers or the um, fast charging networks that other uh, charging infrastructure companies supply to, they can go up to 350 kilowatts, which is really fast. And so you can charge a vehicle from about you know, 10 or 20% up to 80% within 20 minutes. Um, and so that's typically what I would recommend for people to use when they're going on road trips. And nowadays, these electric vehicles all have that built into their navigation. So you really don't have to do, there's no guessing game. If you want peace of mind, there are apps that you can download to support, like, if you wanted to go look around and see what the charging infrastructure looks like in places that you tend to go to on road trips, those are really helpful. There are two that I usually tell people when you're a first time EV buyer to download and that's um, PlugShare and a better route planner. Um, so you can go on both of those websites or download the apps and those will give you a really great indicator of what the you know, networks look like around those areas and how fast they are. And uh, they actually have reviews on there. So you, you can be sure that you're going to one that is, you know, a good, a good charging station in that good area. And I've noticed a lot of hotels now are adding some of these destination chargers, restaurants. Now it's a tool to get people to come and do business with you. So you're going to see more and more of those on the road. So the superchargers, Roughly about a half hour it would take for a full charge on those, right? Well, so we usually in our industry, we quote from about 10% to 80% because the batteries will, that's that's the fastest time that they, they take the energy in and can get it into the battery. Once you get from 80% to 100%, it takes a lot longer. So that you might sit at the charger to get it to 100% for another hour or something, you know, like it really just depends, but because it depends on what your car will allow you to have keep coming in. It wants to keep at a right temperature. And that's the thing about batteries that they love to keep at the right temperature, not too hot, not too cold. So a lot of times your car will actually just prepare it by preconditioning the battery before you get to a charging station. So it can charge the fastest and give you the most amount of energy. But yeah, that's why you'll see a lot of auto manufacturers quote. It's not because they're trying to like manipulate you. It's just, that's the best indicator. And usually you charge up to 80% anyways, because charging that extra 20%, a general rule of thumb is you'll want to charge up 80% every time. If you are going on a long road trip, you can go all the way up to hundred percent, but you don't want to consistently do that hundred percent of the time and rely on fast chargers hundred percent of the time. But you know, it's, if you're you know, every once in a while during, it's not going to affect you if you're just every once in a while doing a road trip. Um, I will say that in my car, I, most of the miles, about 85% are on the supercharger charging network. Um, so it's, uh, it hasn't given me too much of a problem on 
degradation in my car is uh, older. So it's not as bad as what some people think, but just for longevity, each battery chemistry is different from each manufacturer. So it's a good general rule of thumb. You can do it, but you over time will eventually see that there might be a few percentage points less of range available to you because of you kind of beating up the battery like that. So your, your 80% rule got me thinking of, of another question. So going back to the home chargers for a minute, if it's best to kind of keep it at 80% most of the time, can you set it so it won't charge any more than 80% at home? Yep, that's right. So you can either set it in the car or you can set it on your app. Most Every single company that offers an EV, they have compatibility with apps now. So you can set that right there. It's like a little slider bar in most cases that up to 80%. And then when you do go, you know, the nice thing is that everything is digital now. So it makes it easy. You can just simply, the other thing is you can schedule timing. So say um, you don't typically leave for work at a, until a certain time, you can actually schedule charging to happen you know, say the night before from this time to this time, or, you know, if it's off peak hours and it's cheaper electricity in the middle of the night, you can also have the vehicle do that. So all done for you. It's really simple and easy now that we live in this digital age. It's, mm -hmm. it's, uh, you know, and you don't have to worry about uh, any of the fumes or anything. If you wanted to precondition your car uh, in the garage or, you know, it just makes it a lot more simple and convenient, less worry. Yeah, and I just I think the best message here for a lot of people that are always worried about being able to find a charging station, like you said, all of these apps and the technology in your car, it tells you where to go. Exactly. Um, I think, you know, as I think about it for us, well, let's plan out our trips. Like, we don't really want to hang around that area. Let's find a supercharger where we can charge it quick and get back on the road. Hey, this is the area that we're going to hang out. Let's find a hotel that has a destination charger or restaurants that have destination chargers um, that you can utilize there as well. So actually makes your trip planning a little bit more fun in some ways. It does. And a lot of these places, they're built around amenities. So you have things to do around there. You have places to eat. There's entertainment. So um, usually it's, it's, it's more entertaining than uh, what you'd expect. And these cars are offering a lot more uh, digital, you know, entertainment in them too. So uh, yeah, it's, it's not as bad as people think. And usually, you know, you have enough range to get to the next station where you're like, oh gosh, I already, I'm hungry or I have to go to the bathroom anyway. So it's really not that people think it's a huge inconvenience, but like I just did a road trip down to West, uh, to, uh, Virginia near DC and came back and, you know, we stopped and every single time I was like, oh, God, thank God we're stopping because I got to go pee. So <laughs> it actually works out to be all right. Yeah. You know, I can see maybe finding new places to visit or eat at or whatever that you maybe wouldn't have before. So, so exactly. I, I know we're talking a lot about charging here, but it's such an important, I think, question topic that a lot of people have on their mind. Um, so talk also about warm weather and cold weather and how much your battery uh, capacity might change based on the elements. Yeah, so that's uh, one thing I always tell people when they're shopping for an electric car. If you have the option and you can afford the, the extra in your budget to get the longer range vehicle, definitely get that because you'll, I guarantee you'll never regret it. Uh, not only just because of your 
you know, driving experience while you own it, but also for resale, it's better um, for resale. Anything that has over 200 to 250 miles of range does really great on the resale um, versus others that are the lower, you know, you can get a BMW that uh, i3 that came out back in 2014 for only like, you know, 12 to $14,000 now because the range was so low, which you it's great, great, a great deal, but those cars were pretty expensive, like 50 grand, excuse me, to buy new. So those got hit pretty hard, but now those uh, with range over 200 miles are doing really, really well on the resale uh, market. So definitely consider getting a longer range vehicle if you can. Um, so just so, just so people know the longer range, anything over 200 miles, that's considered long range basically. Well, so depending on which brand you go for, so like say in the Mustang Mach-E, uh, there's uh, an extended range battery, which offers, depending on if you have all wheel or rear wheel drive up to 300 miles, whereas their smaller battery pack uh, will max out at like 220, I believe. So I would always, if you can afford it, upgrade to the extended range if you can. Or like for the Model 3, you do have a standard range or an extended range. If you can do it, I would highly recommend doing the extended range. But overall, most EVs on the market that, you know, if you're looking for a general electric vehicle coming out from Ford or GM, they're usually around the 200 to 250 mark. So you don't have to worry too much, but more is always better in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) So what can people expect to see, say in the wintertime in Michigan versus the summertime and how much quicker the battery needs to be recharged? Yeah. So the the point too is get it in the longer range is better for that as well, because what you want to consider is if you're in a cold climate, like we are in Michigan, um, is that you will have a hit from the cold weather. Like I said, batteries want to stay a certain temperature. They don't want to be too hot and they don't want to be too cold. So in the winter time, it takes a lot more energy to get those batteries to the right temperature. So I always recommend to people precondition before you go out and it's nicer anyways, because you don't want to get into a cold car anyways. But when you precondition, it gets that battery to the right temperature. And if you do that while your car is plugged in, you're not going to lose energy. So some people, when they don't have the car plugged in, you're going to get like a 20% hit on the range. So you'll want to consider that because the more accessories you use and the colder it is, it's going to take quite a bit more to get that battery at the right temperature. So getting an extended range is also good for that reason if you're in a colder climate. So, and, and you kind of touched on that a little bit too. I'm sure a lot of people are curious about that. I know it was a question on my mind, like what if we went on a trip with the kids and we all have devices plugged in, how much can we expect that's going to uh, lower the battery as well? Yeah, you're not going to see a significant hit from electronics. So even if you have like, you know, two kids in the back with iPads and then you have your two phones up in the front getting charged, it's not enough energy draw to see a significant difference in the battery. The battery is so huge. It's, you know, propelling a vehicle forward. So it's uh, designed to output a lot of energy. And um, sometimes the, you know, the efficiency is, is you know, re- really, really important for propelling the vehicle forward. So you get a lot more energy to be able to accommodate for even the smaller accessories, whether that be, you know, climate control or 
um, plugging in electronics. But if you want to be conscious about that, that's the nice thing about these EVs and being digital once again, is that a lot of them have graphs in them that kind of show you exactly where your energy is going. So if you do see that you're starting to use a lot more, you know, energy from climate control or accessories, you can kind of pay attention to that. But it's typically, especially on the electronic side, not enough that's going to, climate definitely does, but electronics really doesn't do enough to, to make a dent out of the range. You know, and even if so, if you're someone that does a lot of trips, you're plugging a lot of things in, there's hubs that you can buy too, that where you're not using the energy from the car. So there's always ways around that too. Sure. I guess. Mm -hmm. What can people expect for battery life? I know most cars have like eight year warranties on the batteries. So that kind of is an indicator of how long you can expect. Uh, I've had an electrician tell me they can last 10 to 12 years as long as you take good care of them. Uh, what, what would be the expectation on that? Um, so the actual, there's a federal mandate on the warranty. So all EVs have to have at least eight years and 100,000 miles. But if you're in a California emission state, you get 10 years and 150,000 miles. But obviously each manufacturer has their own warranty too. So you want to look into that because typically they're longer as well. So um, the very minimum, it's eight year, 100,000 miles. And that, honestly, a warranty is not mean that the life of it is going to just all of a sudden stop working. Um, the main thing with electric cars is that there's slight degradation. Not We're to a point where electric cars have been out for a very long time and people don't even realize it, but there's been a lot of uh, technology that has upgraded to a point where, you know, you don't have to worry about the batteries just completely dying out. Like some people thought like at the very beginning of when EVs became a thing. Um, so nowadays it's really just about the degradation and a lot of manufacturers have that built in too, so that you have a certain percentage guaranteed for a specific amount of time. Um, so like, for example, we were talking earlier about my car is, has about like 80,000 miles, um, and it's 2016 model. So yeah, I do a lot of highway driving. I've had zero issues, uh, with my battery, I don't expect to have any issues, um, but you will start to see slight um, percentage points going downwards of range. So like you'll have slight degradation over the years, but your car isn't just gonna stop working. Once the EV battery life is up, then they have recycling programs for those. So like the battery itself is not toast after that. There's second life programs for each car where they take those batteries and recycle them into a second life, whether that be energy storage, it just, it doesn't have the, your range will shrink, shrink, shrink. And to a point where you're not getting the range that you used to say, maybe it goes down to, if you were expecting a 300 mile battery and it goes down to a like a hundred mile battery, that's when you would need a new battery because that the, the life of the battery propelling a vehicle forward takes a lot of energy and that, is the indicator there that it's it's ready to be onto its second life. And energy storage is one of those things. Some of the manufacturers are starting to implement them in charging infrastructure with solar panels. So the solar panels can absorb the energy and then store it in those batteries and then use that to charge your vehicle. Um, that's one of many uh, examples, but yeah, you should, 
you shouldn't be worried about the vehicle just stopping over that period of time. It's, it's going to keep working. It'll just probably the range will go down little by little and, and not too noticeable, to be honest. And I think the good news too, for people that are maybe buying cars now, <clears throat> the cost, what you see of a cost of a new battery now is probably going to be a lot less. The time comes around when you actually need one because you're just going to be even more perfected. Exactly. And it also depends on each vehicle. So like, you know, your battery is going to be a different size than my battery and it's a different chemistry. So the pricing is different depending on all those things. So what you see now in the market today is it's, it's significantly dropping faster year after year. And it's going to be, you know, once we get, like I said, to that price point where we're getting close to the, the parity of gas vehicles, you're just going to see that number keep going down, down, down because more manufacturers are building more batteries. It's going to get more competitive. The more the merrier because that creates competition and it lowers the price for everyone. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's dropping day by day. I'm really trying to not make this a commercial for Tesla, but um, I'm always the kind of guy that I like going directly with the people that are experts on that specific thing. So yes. why wouldn't you at least first look at the place that only works on this product because they're probably more perfected at it than others are. So that's not to say there aren't other good options out there, but what would be your advice to people as they start shopping around um, and comparing a Tesla that is an expert on it and that's all they do versus a bigger brand that also has other kinds of vehicles? Honestly, the EV market is really about personal preference. And so, um, you know, some people get into a Tesla and they're like, this is a little too modern for me. It kind of freaks me out. You know, you only have the one screen in the center stack. I want a screen in front of me. And so there's just a lot of personal preference just on the car aspect and uh, the technology aspect. Um, and like I said, now these OEMs, the, you know, GM and the Fords and the, um, you know, other big legacy makers, are coming out with some really compelling products. So in my opinion, you can't really go too wrong. It's really all about personal preference. Now, that being said, some dealers, some people like that, just dropping the car off, having it be serviced at a dealer. These new automakers, whether they're the EV startups or, um, you know, like a Tesla, they have service facilities where if you do need to go get repairs that are significant, like warranty repairs or, you know, body damage or anything like that, you can take it to that service center or have them pick up and deliver your car in some cases um, to do service. Or you can have them schedule a mobile ranger. So the mobile rangers have like little vans that they bring out to you with all their equipment and they can do service right in your driveway. Or if you're at work, They'll come right to your work and they'll do service on your car right there. So being a digital brand across the board nowadays with, you know, pretty much everyone now is switching to that model because everyone wants convenience and they want instant. They don't want to necessarily talk to a person every time. They just want to schedule it on their phone and have it be done. Text the people if they do need to text them. Um, but overall, the experience is relatively close when comparing, say a Tesla versus anyone else that's coming out with an EV. And more and more dealers are starting to offer, you know, pickup and delivery service as well. So it definitely depends on 
what you're used to. If you like going with the dealership model, definitely consider um, more of the legacy brands. Um, but we're starting to see more convenience out of uh, these new EV startups because they offer the mobile rangers as well. Yeah, I think that's great advice, really. Everybody has a different situation and there are enough options out there now that there should be something that works for just about anybody. So, that's right. uh, you know, we could talk on this forever and then maybe we'll have you on again to, to go into further detail on things, but I hope this gives people a good overview and um, at least enough interest to go over to your YouTube channel and learn some more. So what that's can right. people expect to see on your YouTube channel? I know you've got some new content coming out as well. Uh, maybe give people a little bit of a primer for what's over there. Yeah, I will actually do, I'm writing up a, a piece right now where I can talk a little bit more about an EV buyer guide and go deep dive into that. So you'll see that coming pretty soon. Um, my channel is really focused on electric mobility. So although I am in the automotive business, I do reviews on, um, you know, scooters and uh, e-bikes and those types of things as well. So anything that's kind of in that transportation segment that's electrified and battery powered. I'm all about that. Um, you know, some people don't need to buy a car. They just need an e-bike. So we talk about that. And then uh, a lot of educational about, you know, this new industry. Cause like we talked about, there's so much to know and to learn about it. And hopefully that's what people learn from my channel is, you know, how they can adjust into the EV space and really just learn as much as possible about the new products and, um, you know, tips about the industry. And are you available to ask questions too? Because I'm sure after people watch those videos, they have a lot of questions. Is it easy for them to reach out to you to get questions answered? Yep. Just comment on my video and I check those every single day. So I'll be quick on response. Uh, so if, if a video sparks your attention and you're like, well, you know, what about this or this? Hopefully if I didn't cover it in the video, I can give you a quick answer on the comments. So Miss Go Electric, M-I-S-S, -S, Go Electric, easy YouTube search, uh, subscribe to her channel. Um, you know, I've learned so much, maybe I'll start Mr. Go Electric and uh, right. see if we can have some competition here. I bought that one too, don't worry. Oh, <laughs> well, uh, Lacey, thanks so much for coming on. I knew this was going to be great content. Uh, I think people- Thanks really for having me. And, uh, go over to her YouTube channel and uh, subscribe and learn more. Thank Thanks you for again. having me. Yeah.